Let's take our Bibles. We're going to be in 2 Kings, latter part of 23 and 24 and 25 this evening, as we're going to wrap up our series of messages that have been going for some time on the kings of Israel and Judah. There are four kings left, and very little scripture on the four of them, and so we're going to wrap them up together this evening uh, as the kingdom of Judah will end, and the kingdom of Israel ends, at least for now, here in the scripture. Of course, when Jesus came, he came to be their Messiah, and they rejected him. He was not the king they were looking for. They were anticipating and expecting and wanting a military, uh, someone that was going to deliver them from their uh, from their bondage and, and be their military leader, and Jesus came to be a savior. And uh, they rejected him, but still accomplishing his will, he died on the cross and was buried and he rose again. And King Jesus is coming back one day. He's coming back first in his rapture, where he'll take the church, the bride, out of here. We'll be raptured into heaven. There'll be a seven-year period here on earth known as the Tribulation. We've been studying that topic for some time on Wednesday evenings in our end time study. And at the conclusion of that seven-year tribulation period, a kingdom will be reinstituted here on earth. The throne of Christ will be established, and King Jesus will not just rule Judah or not just Israel. He will rule this world here on the earth for a thousand-year reign. We'll reign with him. We'll be part of that. And a thousand-year reign of uh, peace, prosperity, everything that you've ever heard promised in a political campaign uh, that never has come true will come true under King Jesus. And at the end of that thousand years, he'll be rejected again. Blows my mind. If I didn't believe, you know, I believe every word in the Bible, but I, I couldn't believe if he told me that if I didn't see it in the Scripture. I, you're kidding. They're going to reject, yes, they're going to reject Jesus again at the end of that thousand years, and they're going to try a, one more battle against him, and he'll throw down those enemies, and then we'll have a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem, and uh, we, will reign, or we will live with the Lord forever and ever in that new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem. And so, but tonight we're seeing the end of this kingdom of, uh, of the kings, and uh, Israel and Judah now will be in bondage at the conclusion of this. Uh, look with me, chapter 23, uh, and let's look with me in verse number 29. 2 Kings 23, verse 29. In his days, Pharaoh, Necho, king of Egypt, went up against the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates, and King Josiah went against him, and he slew him at Megiddo, when he had seen him, and his servants carried him in his chariot dead from Megiddo and brought him to Jerusalem and buried him in his own sepulcher. And the people of the land took Jehoaz, the son of Josiah, and anointed him and made him king in his father's stead. So here comes the end of this 31-year reign of King Josiah. Now a lengthy reign, 31 years, but not an old man. Because he, died, he began reigning when he was eight years old, if you recall. And so he died at 39. And, uh, but what a great king Josiah was. And he brought about a, 
uh, a revival of some sort, a renewal, let's say, of some sort. It was not a national uh, revival, and it did not last after his death. In fact, his, Jeho- his son Jehoaz becomes king. And Jehoaz, as we see here in verse number uh, 30, was made king. Verse 31 says, And Jehoaz was twenty and three years old when he began to reign, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was uh, Hamutai, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And so just three months for Jehoaz, uh, but he did not do anything good. He was evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, drop down to verse number 34. Again, Pharaoh, Aonicho, uh, made Eliakim, the son of Josiah, king in the room of Josiah, his father, and turned his name into Jehoiakim, and took Jehoahaz away, and he came to Egypt and died there. And Jehoiakim gave the silver and the gold to Pharaoh, but he taxed the land to give the money according to the commandment of Pharaoh. He exacted the silver and the gold of the people of the land of every tribe, of everyone according to his taxation to give it unto the Pharaoh there. And so we have now this, uh, this uh, next king, Jehoiakim, and we'll learn of him that he'll reign for about 11 years. And again, he does evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, go to chapter number 24, verse number 6. So Jehoiakim slept with his fathers, and Jehoiachin, his son, reigned in his stead. Now what we're going to learn about him, he has a short reign too, but he's not, he doesn't die. He's put in prison by Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, he's, he goes to prison, he goes to Babylon, and we'll come back to Jehoiachin later at the end of our text reading this evening, or at the end of our message. And, uh, but in his place... We have then Zedekiah, and look at chapter 24, verse 17. And the king of Babylon made Madaniah his father's brother king in his stead and changed his name to Zedekiah. And Zedekiah was 20 and 1 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem, gives his mother's name and so forth. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that Jehoiakim uh, had done. So you have these four kings, they rule about 22 and a half years, Uh, they all do evil in the sight of the Lord, and what we're seeing now is the conclusion of the nation of Judah in this fashion. Their freedom is just about over, in fact the glory days of of Judah are over, Uh, the days of King David. King Solomon, King David with the, his great military battles, King Solomon with his great buildings, uh, the wealth of the nation, all of these things are now done. And what we see in chapter 25 is the nation begins to crumble. Uh, we see in chapter 25, verse 1 and 2, and I won't read all these, but I'll make mention of them this evening. The city is under siege from King Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians in chapter 25, verse 1 and 2. They put their army outside, nothing goes in, nothing comes out. They have these great walls around Jerusalem, and so it protects them, but they're not able to get things. And so they're limited to whatever they can uh, uh, produce inside those city walls. And so oftentimes a siege could even last years, and they would just outlast their enemy. 
And if the, if the armies could stay outside the walls and keep people from going in and out, uh, longer than those folks could, could stay inside, there would be victory in this matter. And that's what's happening here. We see in chapter 25, verse 3, starvation is starting to set in in Jerusalem. In verse number 4, the army sees what's about to happen and soldiers start fleeing the city. They're climbing over the wall. They're escaping the city of Jerusalem. And King Zedekiah also flees. He sees the handwriting on the wall. Thing is, they captured King Zedekiah. Uh, the Babylonians capture him in verse 5 and 6. Let's go ahead and read and see what happens to him. Uh, verse 5 and 6, the army of the Chaldeans pursued after the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. And all his army were scattered from him. So they took the king and brought him to the king of Babylon, to Riblah, and they gave judgment upon him. And they slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in fetter, with fetters of brass and carried him to Babylon. So pretty awful, isn't it? He tries to escape, he's captured, and what they do is they bring his sons before him and he has to watch his sons put to death. That's a difficult thing for a father to see. But then they want that to be the last thing he ever sees. And so then they, they take his eyes away from him. They, 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 they remove his eyes. So the last sight he's ever seen would be the death of his sons. And so we see an awful end to this nation of Judah. Their king has been, uh, uh, been tortured in this fashion. We'll see in verse number 8 and 9, the city of Jerusalem is now in ruins. Uh, they burned the great houses. They burned the king's palace. They burned the temple. The walls of Jerusalem begin to be torn down in chapter 25, verse number 10. Much of the people were carried away in chapter 25, verse 11. Think with me, if you would, to the book of Daniel, like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, those individuals that were carried away. Some were left back in Jerusalem and in Israel to carry, care for the, the, a little bit was there, but they took the best away. They took the brightest and the smartest and the greatest away into Babylon. Of course, God would use that. God would do much with the man Daniel. God will do much with these three Hebrew children and their faithfulness. And then we see also in chapter 25, verses 13 through 17, uh, the Babylonians take items from the temple. These holy pieces of, uh, uh, of the instruments that were used in temple worship are taken away. And of course, we'll see those come back in the book of Daniel. Remember in Daniel chapter 5, Belshazzar's having his drunken feast. and He brings out the different various instruments from the temple of God and is drinking their wine and their pagan feast and, and parties there that are going on. And that's the night that a hand comes out and writes on the wall, a finger, writes on the wall, it's the finger of God. And it says, meeny, meeny, tikulu farsin. And Daniel is the one that comes in, interprets that, or uh, uh, is able to read that for the king. And it says, Thou hast been uh, weighed in the balances, or in the scales, and have been found lacking. And on that very night, history would teach us that the, 
Cyrus and the Persians would come underneath the walls of the Babylonian city there of Babylon and would destroy them and Belshazzar would be killed on that evening. And so this is the things that are taking place and the nation of Judah is now being carried away into captivity, into the Babylonian uh, captivity there for about 70 years. Now when we look at this, we can see that this was prophesied that it would take place. These events were prophesied earlier on. Turn back with me to chapter 21, if you will. Uh, Chapter 21, verses 10 through 16. This is under the reign of Manasseh. The longest reigning king of Judah, the longest reigning king of either of either nation, Israel and Judah, 55 years, but probably the most wicked in the nation of Judah. He was a wicked man, but at the end of his reign, he has a true repentance and turning to God. And look what, what is said of this in chapter number 21, verse number 10. It says, and the Lord spake by his servant the prophet, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, hath done these abominations, and hath done wickedly above all that the Amorites did, which were before him, and made Judah also to sin with his idols. Therefore thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such evil upon Jerusalem and Judah, that whosoever heareth of it, both his ears shall tingle. You know, to hear what was going to come. Now, Manasseh escapes it because of his repentance. The Lord spares Manasseh from enduring this. But it was prophesied the Lord is going to bring such evil upon Jerusalem and Judah that whosoever heareth it of it, both his ears shall tingle. Uh, Look over to chapter 22. Uh, In the reign of Josiah, Josiah is, is... is is cleaning up the temple, and they find a copy of God's word. They begin to read it, and it begins to have an effect on it. That's where Josiah rents his clothes, being under great conviction from the power of God's word. And so he sends uh, sends his priest and his advisor, and he sends them to a prophetess to get what is God going to do? What is the message from God? We learn down here in chapter number 22, verse number 15, that a prophetess named Huldah gives the message that the Lord has. And she said unto them in verse 15, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Tell the men that sent you to me, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place, and upon the inhabitants thereof, even all the words of the book which the kings of Judah hath read, Because they have forsaken me and have burned incense unto other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath shall be kindled against this place and shall not be quenched. But to you, uh, but to the king of Judah, which sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall ye say to him, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, as touching the words which thou hast heard, because thine heart was tender And thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord when thou heardest what I spake against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and has rent thy clothes and wept before me. I also have heard thee, saith the Lord. Behold, therefore, I will gather thee unto thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered into thy grave in peace. And thine eyes shall not see the evil which I will bring upon this place. And they brought the king word again." 
And so this prophecy or this judgment that we've seen in chapter number 25 was prophesied uh, both to uh, during Manasseh's reign and in King Josiah's reign. Now, by the way, it's good for us to remember the nation of Judah lasted about 390 years. It's a long, it's a long time. Uh, it's a lengthy, lengthy kingdom. And during that time, there were some good kings, some excellent kings, and there were some bad kings and some awful kings. But remember this. God is a long-suffering God. God is patient. God is willing, not willing that any should perish. He wants people to turn to him. But God does have a deadline. God does have a time when that is it, and his judgment will fall. We're living in a different era now. We're in this church age. And when this church age is done, we're going to see the wrath of God poured out upon mankind again. And it's going to be a seven-year horrific time, as we've discovered on our Wednesday night study, of God's wrath upon this world. Here we're seeing and reading just a portion of God's wrath upon a nation here, the nation of Judah, because of their unfaithfulness, because of their, their uh, idolatry and all that they've been a part of. But even in all of this, as you come to the end of chapter number 25, there is a little glimpse, again, of God's mercy. God, uh, and, and it's not much, but there's something there. Look with me to chapter 25, and you remember I mentioned Jehoiachin, how we'll see him again later on. He was imprisoned after three months' reign. He shows up again here at the end of this book, chapter 25 of 2 Kings. Notice in verse 27, and it came to pass in the seventh, seven and thirtieth year of the captivity of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the twelfth month, on the seven and twentieth day of the month that Evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he began to reign, did lift up the head of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, out of prison. And he spake kindly to him, and set his throne above the throne of the kings that were with him in Babylon, and changed his prison garments, and he did eat bread continually before him all the days of his life. And his allowance was a continual allowance given him of the king a daily rate for every day, all the days of his life. So for seven and 30 years of his captivity, for 37 years he's been in prison, and now he's delivered. So this was interesting to me when I saw this, and I began to try to read some different thoughts on this and to see what, the, what was behind this, this deliverance from prison. First of all, this king of Babylon, Evil Merodach. How would you like to be named that? Evil Merodach. It means this in the Babylonian tongue, the man or soldier of Merodach. And Merodach was one of their false gods. And so he's the soldier or the man of Merodach, this pagan god of the Babylonians. Many Bible historians believe that this man, evil Merodach, is who we know as Belshazzar there in the book of Daniel. The one I mentioned earlier of Daniel chapter 5, the son of Nebuchadnezzar. They look at the time of the reigns, and often the kings had various names and titles that they went by. And so many Bible historians believe this. He's the one that releases Jehoiachin out of prison. Now I said, well, thinking, why? 
Why was he delivered? And I thought, is this an act of God's kindness to this man? Perhaps he, while in prison, remember Manasseh, when he was taken captive, that's when he changed his heart. That's when he repented and turned to the Lord. So perhaps Jehoiachin had a time of, of renewal or a time of repentance. God, I'm sorry, would you, and I want to be right with you. So I thought it could have been that. Some people believe Daniel might have had something to do with this. Daniel has risen to a place of significance there in the, in the kingdom of Babylon. He's an advisor. And, and, uh, and some believe that Daniel perhaps went to bat for this king. Hey, could you, could you show some kindness on, to him for my, for my benefit or for my, for my request? But the Babylonian history book says this, that, that Belshazzar was imprisoned for a period of time by his father, Nebuchadnezzar. Put him into prison. He didn't do something he liked, and he says, you're going to jail for a while. And while he was in jail, he met Jehoiachin, they said. And they became buddies. And so when he got out of jail, he remembered him, and he brought him out of jail and set him up in a place of significance. You remember, they would, they would overthrow these various kingdoms, and they would bring back many of those people, many of those dignitaries with them, and they would give them a place of significance or a place that they could, they could have their throne, where they would rule their nation from Babylon. And this was much of what he did for Jehoiachin, perhaps. It's so interesting that it could be a glimpse of mercy, even in this time of, of difficulty, even this time of defeat, even in this time uh, of, of the overthrow of the nation. Now, as I read through all that, I said to myself, well, what in the world are the lessons to be learned for us? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. This is God's Word, amen? And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction. There is something in here for us to learn, amen? It's not just a bunch of hard names and difficult names to say that you never say the same way twice in a row. It's, it's, it's more than that. There is something for us to learn. And as I thought and as I meditated on this, my mind went to this first thought. The decline of society over time still is true. Think about the nation of Israel. It started there, obviously, with King Saul. I mentioned that this morning. King Saul was man's choice, not God's choice. So they don't get off to a great start. The first 40 years, King Saul uh, up and down, making many mistakes, Eventually, God rejects him. Uh, David is, is anointed the king of Israel. And David becomes that king after the death of Saul and has a great reign as the king. Now, David, we know he has many personal failures during that time. But David was a good and godly king overall, did many great things, expanded the territory of Israel in an amazing way during his reign. He, he, he accumulated many of the supplies that would be needed for the, the building of the temple of God, which led into the reign of Solomon. And we know Solomon started off in a wonderful way uh, where God said, I'll give you whatever you want. And he asked for wisdom. And God not only gives him great wisdom, but he also blesses him with great wealth, and great power. And, and so we see these, these great times. We see Israel at its pinnacle. And then over the next 390 years, you see a decline overall. 
If you're looking at it, it's like one of those graphs you're watching in the hospital. And every once in a while, there's a high spot, there's some things. But it's mostly a decline, isn't it? And isn't that not the way it is with most kingdoms? Most uh, 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 of the countries and nations and powers that we see, they start well and, and maybe have a time of rising, and then, but there's this, this, this decline. I've read this to you before. It's from a Scottish uh, diplomat named Alexander Fraser Tyler back in the 1800s. And he's talking about the progress or the civilizations have gone through the following stages. He says the civilizations normally begin in bondage, and, and from bondage they go to spiritual faith. From spiritual faith to courage. From courage to liberty. From liberty to abundance. And from abundance to selfishness. And from selfishness to complacency. And from complacency to apathy. And from apathy back to bondage. Can you even, as we read, as I read those stages, those, 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 those uh, movements of a nation, could you see our nation in that? Could you see the United States of America and where would you point us at at this time? I believe we're witnessing our nation in the latter part of those days. Complacency, apathy, apathy, perhaps even near bondage again. I believe our only hope in this day and age that we live in is a Josiah type of revival, maybe a little spike every once in a while. But church, we're living in a world and in a nation that is on a gradual decline. And sometimes that decline is pretty steep and quick, isn't it? Think about just in my lifetime what I've seen our nation and see how it's changed in my 50 years. And, and what it was when I was a teenager, and it certainly wasn't good then, but oh, it's a whole lot worse now, isn't it? And it's only going to continue to get worse and worse. America is headed for bondage. But we must remember this. There are opportunities for glimpses of mercy. God is not willing that any should perish. God still wants people to be saved. God still needs a church that's preaching the gospel, that's taking the gospel to this world. God still wants us to be active. Even though this world is headed in that direction, we must remain the bright and shining lights, preaching and proclaiming the truth. Oh, that we could be a Josiah in these last of the last days. We could be a, 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 a man that's going to uh, be dedicated to God's word and let God's word do a work in his heart to where it changes him and inspires him. Oh, that we would have individuals in our church that would stick to the word of God in these difficult days. And so the decline of society over time is still true. Second thought I had was that God sees and remembers individuals, not just nations. We, we don't just learn about the nation of Israel or the nation of Judah. We learn about particular people. People that God had recorded in his word. That should be encouraging to you. It's not just that God looks at the United States of America. He looks at every one of us. He knows you personally. God sees and remembers individuals, 
He knows each of us and he will bless and work through and show grace and show mercy to those that will remain faithful to the Lord. Listen, in these days, God is looking for people, not always just nations. He's looking for a person that he can work through, an individual. I would encourage us that you would say, I'll be that person. I'll be that Josiah. I'll be those people that perhaps we have very little history on, but they were godly people. And their names are recorded for us in Scripture. And we would be those type of people. I want to share an extreme example of, uh, with you this evening of living and perhaps dying for your faith. Do you think it could happen to us in our time? You know, we say that, but perhaps we don't really think that. I mean, we know it technically could happen, but do we really believe it? But things move quickly at times, don't they? Things, things can go sliding down quickly. I mean, uh, we got these elections coming up and politics could change right away and we're losing more and more freedoms and liberties in our faith. Difficulties could come. I want to share with you this example of a man named Thomas Hawks. Hawks had been a somewhat of a dignitary working in the English government under a king, and when that king died, and I apologize, I didn't write down all of the different kings who it was and what time period, but when that king died, he, the next king that came in uh, was embracing Catholicism and was trying to enforce that upon all the people of Britain. And Hawks quit his job and went back home to try to have a lower profile. He had just gotten married, had an infant son. And he was trying to hide him as it was mandated that he was to have his son baptized into the uh, Catholic faith. And after several weeks of this not happening, he was approached by the authorities and he said, I will not have my son baptized. And he was imprisoned for the purpose of trying to change his mind. And while in prison, they again began to try to convince Thomas to recant of his faith. And Thomas's response was this, No, my Lord, that I will not. For if I had a hundred bodies, I would suffer them all to be torn in pieces rather than abjure and recant. He said, I'm not going to do it. He said, if I had a hundred bodies, a hundred lives, I would refuse this a hundred times. So while in prison, it was, he was sentenced to death. He would be burnt at the stake for not having his son, his little infant son, baptized. Now, there would be some that would argue that that's just not worth it. But it was to this man, it was to Thomas Hawks. He said, I'm not going to recant on my faith, not even for my death, even for this baptism of my child. While he was in prison, he Waiting his execution, Hawks was allowed to see some friends, and many of them called on him in those last days of his life. Some of them tried to convince him that it probably wasn't worth it and he should change his mind. Others said, we are behind you and we'll support you all the way to the end. And they said, Hawks was telling them that he believed that God was going to give him a dying grace. 
an ability to withstand whatever was going to be handed to them, to him. And so his friends said, well, listen, to help us, if, if while you're going through this time of your, your execution and you are sensing and feeling the grace of God, would you give us a sign to let us know that it, it's true and that God will help us through these times if this comes to us? And he said, I certainly will. He was to be burned at the stake, and he said, if I am feeling the grace of God and God has given me the grace to endure what I'm going through, before I die, I will raise my hands to heaven in a, in a celebration that, 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 that God is giving me a dying grace. Well, the day came. They chained him to a stake, put a large stone tied to the ground so he could not run away. He was bound to this area there. They built a fire ring around him and lit that fire, and it was not long till that fire was getting up around his waist and his body, and he was standing there uh, they, uh, as they were describing them. And he just was silent as he stood there. And the flames are coming around him. And I don't want to be too graphic this evening, but they talked about his skin beginning to just melt away and, and his body losing shape and form. But he stood there solid and he stood there rigid, standing there for his faith as the flames were coming around him. But he never rose his hands in the air. And his friends were shocked as they watched, as obviously, and they thought perhaps he had already died because there was no movement, there was no sound. And then suddenly both of his hands went into the air, stood over his head, or had, raised over his head, and then he clapped them three times in a celebration, and then he slumped to his death. This man had a dying grace, even in those last horrific moments of his life. Now, I don't know if we'll ever have to face a time like that in our lifetime. If the Lord tarries, we could. Our nation could. America could. We have a dear brother in the Lord that just was put to death the other day. Uh, we have other believers across the world that have been put to death for their faith. It could hit American soil one day. I want you to see this. God remembers individuals. God remembers people. And be faithful to the end. Whether we face a horrific matter such as death by fire... Or perhaps we'll face something, persecution in a different fashion. You know, it's becoming sooner and sooner that, you know, taking a stand for traditional marriage, uh, taking a stand for uh, 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 life begins in the womb, uh, taking a stand on two genders, you were what God wanted you to be when you were born, and just to take traditional biblical stands on that, that we're headed to a day where that's going to be hate speech and there's going to be consequences to take a stand for it. I've heard this will be one of the first things that they'll do, that Heritage Baptist Church could lose, if I continue to preach on that and preachers in this pulpit continue to preach for those things, not necessarily even preaching against that, but just preaching for traditional marriage. That we could lose our tax exemption. And then they start coming after people that are giving at this church. Start looking at tax records. 
seeing the different individuals that give to this church and audits start coming at individuals. Now you say, well, that's not that big of a deal. It will be for some people. They won't want to deal with that kind of hassle. No way. And we'll see, as we've seen, and I hope and it won't be uh, the case here at Heritage, but you'll see churches change. We're not going to go through that. We're not going to do it. We're not going to, and they'll recant. And church, we need to stay faithful even in the difficult and dark days, remembering that God remembers individuals. He remembers people. He will remember churches and give them a grace and, a, and, and, and mercy to endure these type of things. Now, that's my heart's desire. I pray the Lord comes back before any of that has to happen. I don't like suffering. I'm not someone that's looking for those type of things. I, I don't want to have to endure those things. But if it happens, I, I want to be faithful. And I trust you'll be faithful all the way to the end. We're seeing a decline of the world. We're seeing a decline of this nation. And it will have an effect on the church at some point. And let's be faithful all the way to the end. Or let's pray really hard. The Lord comes back before we have to do any of those things. And we'll have a bird's eye view from heaven would be fine with me. We'll come back with the Lord and we'll establish another throne. And another kingdom that's been promised, that's been predicted, and it will happen one day. And we look forward to that day. But until then, let's be faithful. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this evening? Father, I pray tonight, as we've concluded this study of the kings, of these various kingdoms, of the good kings and the bad kings, the good times, the bad times, the decline of a nation, the captivity of a nation. Lord, I pray that you would burden our hearts for our world, for our country. And Lord, that we would be faithful people, faithful individuals. Lord, I pray tonight, as we have this moment of invitation, Lord, that you would work in hearts and lives. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here tonight that you've touched their heart about a specific matter, specific need, a specific situation. Lord, I imagine there are people right now, whether with friends or family, co-workers, school, they're facing some backlash for Christian beliefs. They're having someone tell them that that's uh, wrong and that it's not right and that they're a bigot or they're a prejudice or of some matter, Lord, and Lord, we can speak the truth in love. It is possible. I pray, God, that these folks, I pray for our young people, I pray for our college students, Lord, you'd help them to be faithful in these difficult and trying days. Lord, even tonight, they would be committed to be faithful to you. And so, Lord, touch our hearts and help us to be obedient during this invitation moment, Lord, in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If the Lord's touched your heart, the altar is available or right there at your pew. Be obedient to the Lord this evening.